Oh, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the box. I think I finished it. I just need to click this one last piece into play. Ow. Oh, it pricked me. Well, that hurt a lot. You know, that's too bad. Well, at least that's the worst thing that's going to happen to me today. Whoa, what's going on? Oh my God, the walls. They're they're moving back. The room is expanding. What's happening? Ah, uh, yes. We have arrived. Huh? Oh my goodness. Who are you? What's going on here? We are your salvation. And your damnation. Oh no, you all look so horrible. I I don't know what to make of this. Who are you? I am the priest. And I am the lord and master over the others. Oh no, a hierarchy. (laughs) And this beautiful being here is the chatterer. Oh my god, it's horrible. No face, just teeth. He will devour your flesh and your soul bit by bit. My flesh and my soul. And next we have the knob gobbler. Oh, what? Yeah? That I don't know if I get this one. <laughs> They'll give you a lot of unwanted attention down there. Uh, <laughs> communicating my displeasure will be very awkward on... <laughs> <laughs> and then our last unholy being here is Frank. Hey, I'm Uncle Frank. I did some nasty stuff in the first movie. Really, I just want some skin if I can have some. That's all I need. Oh, God, no! Oh, we have such sights to show you. Dark fantasy fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire, the podcast where we turn terrifying low fantasy into horrific high art. Yeah. I am your dungeon manager, the Jamie configuration. I unlock the dreams in which you are stuck doing repetitive tasks over and over again until you go mad. (laughs) And my pronouns are he and him. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And I am here with my hellish co-hosts. And I'm the Cassidy configuration, going by the pronouns of they, them. I'm in the shape of a pillow, but you'll never get any rest because I represent fatigue in all of its forms. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> no matter what you do, you'll never get any rest. Well, good thing I've got my morning coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. Yeah. We'll even need more coffee before the day is through, but it won't help. <laughs> well, that's too bad. <laughs> and me? I'm the Jack O'Lander configuration. <laughs> My pronouns are any and all. And uh, I am shaped like a, a spork. Oh. I, I am a tool that seems like it could be useful for many things, <laughs> but uh, it's just actually quite frustrating at everything. It, it does everything, but not very well. Exactly. Are you a jack of all trades? Yes, a spork of many names. <laughs> Sounds awkward to try to use. Yes. And frustrating. Your suffering has only begun. <laughs> It will be legendary even in hell. Yes. Well, guys, we have exciting stuff to talk about today because... It's another week of scares and satires. That's right. <laughs> I couldn't it's wait. A, it's, a it's a horrendous week of fun and terrifying joy. <laughs> and also the fine line between pain and pleasure. Yes. Because this week, we are going to be talking about the brand new reboot make <laughs> of Hellraiser, one of our favorite horror series. Yes. We have such sights to show you. No, no, this is a podcast. We have such sounds to let you hear. Ah, yes. <laughs> is there an equivalent word to show, but for listening? I guess you usually say, like, let me show you this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the look on Jack's face is meme-tastic. I'm just realizing the word isn't there. I'm like, whoa. You were doing the, uh, the, the they, what's that, the, the meme of the guy, like the religious guy is just like blinking. I don't know that one. You don't know that one? Oh, I'm sure you know I it. I know the Dory May rat. No, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... They are listening to us and hearing us, but we aren't hearing them. <laughs> we're, we're recording. Or are we? <laughs> the voice of all podcast listeners rings out in our ears. Then we just need a new word. Like, they're, they're morbing. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, God. that's already taken. That means something else. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and yet it means everything and nothing. <laughs> All right, so Hellraiser. We all know the iconic 80s classic by Clive Barker, but this is a new telling of a classic story of pain and torment and suffering and loss and obsession. Yes. Sensation. Yes. But this new reboot was directed by David Bruckner, it stars Jamie Clayton. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. She's great. Also, Odessa Azion, Drew Starkey, and a bunch of badass Cenobites. Yeah. But guys, I know we have so much we want to say about this film, so we should probably get into the summary so we can get to the discussion sooner. Sounds good.
yeah. So we start out with a billionaire Boo! who wants to solve the configuration but doesn't want to pay the price himself. That sounds about right. So what I wrote in my notes is that a shitty rich guy traps Thads into solving the puzzle so he can talk to the Leviathan daddy. Now, could you explain for our listeners what a Thad is? No. I <laughs> It's the mixture between a twink and a chad. Ah, yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, why is he killing something so beautiful? <laughs> yes. You have to give up that which you love the most. <laughs> That's in Marvel. <laughs> Well, apparently it's also on Hellraiser. Yeah, I guess so. Red Skull has big Cenobite energy. Yeah, I can see that, actually. And so the billionaire is named Roland Voigt. Boo! Yeah. Agreed. Just because he's a billionaire. Apparently he's after sensation, but not as much as he thought. He's not as into pain as he is into pleasure. Wuss. And um, <laughs> he got to the Leviathan Daddy... But then he didn't get quite what he wanted. It's kind of like a monkey's paw. Seems like he got a little bit more than he bargained for. Yeah, it's true. Play the laugh track. He wanted. <laughs> he chose the sensation. Like there are six different configurations. Seven. 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 The seventh of the last one. Okay. Yeah. One of them is focused on sensation, and um, he chose that one. He thought it would be all pleasure. But it it's mostly pain. Yeah, I, I in fact, it's so much pain that I'm not sure where the pleasure comes in. Basically, it just sh like shoves a like piano or basically it shoves like an organ grinder into his torso and attaches his nerves to the we the grinding wheels. And it's like constantly grinding through there and causing him pain all the time. Also, it must be really hard to sleep with that thing through his torso. Yeah, he's basically not human anymore. Well, he was a billionaire. He was never human. Yeah, okay. You give up your humanity once you reach a million dollars of, like, liquid assets. He kind of disappeared because he has all these secret passages in the mansion that he lives in, in his house. And I mean, that's living the dream, though. And so he's like hiding in all those passages because he doesn't want to see, want, doesn't want people to see what he's become. He's like the Phantom of the Opera, except in his own house and mostly alone. And his house is constructed like a giant configuration, which is cool. That is very cool. It has like this cage on the outside and then all these switches inside will like open up walls, change passages around and the lights and like change everything just like the the small configuration. It reconfigures the house and keeps Cenobites out, apparently. Yeah. Something about the metal of the cage that's around the whole house keeps them out. They can't get through it. I, I assume there was a combination of like the materials and then the geometry of the shapes. Yeah, because it has a very particular sort of like grid design. And it's like a ward. Yeah, it's like a magical ward that they can't get past because usually they can like open portals anywhere. But so we have a new leader of this. What's the uh, group called? Each group of Cenobites? Oh, uh, a Gash? Yeah, Gash. So the leader of this Gash of Cenobites is called the Priest. I mean, they are basically Pinhead, but 
It's like the new pinhead. Yeah. <laughs> new pinhead just dropped. <laughs> yes. And uh, they're great. I mean, they're played by a trans woman and they have a female form, but it's un- it's unclear. Yeah, I feel like Cenobites at a certain point transcend gender. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> they're the original non-binary uh, <laughs> movie characters. They really do. I mean, I think it's humans that put gender on them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, this is a creepy horror movie, right? Like, most of these characters have kind of ambiguous genitals and, yeah. like, or they're... <laughs> yeah, ambiguous or absent. Yeah. Um, their flesh is flayed. Their form has been, like, flesh sculpted. Like, Some people- gender is not their biggest concern. Yeah, they're either referred to as angels or demons, depending on who you talk to. Maybe both. Yeah. Aren't demons just fallen angels? Aren't angels just fallen demons? <laughs> An angel to some, demon to others. That too. Pleasure and pain mixed together. But yeah, I mean, so iconic Hellraiser star Doug Bradley, the original Pinhead. I mean, obviously, fantastic antagonist i guess whatever we would call pinhead in the originals that classic voice jamie clayton awesome new take absolutely love this new kind of like giddy version of pinhead a lot like bradley's is kind of cold and emotionless whereas clayton's is a lot more like expressive and i thought that was a wonderful direction excited to show the sights to the human when she has we have such sights to show you it has like a a verve versus the kind of cold viciousness of bradley's yes you can feel their passion yeah for their work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're a Cenobite, you gotta love your job. It's really a calling. Yeah, it yeah. is. You're right. You're right. When you're right, you're right. Um, So it's kind of like their job is to cause humans pain and it brings them and their god Leviathan pleasure. As I like to call him Leviathan Daddy. Um, Levy Daddy? This is BDSM here. Oh, I mean, the original Hellraiser story... The Hellbound Heart was literally about like BDSM clubs, or was li- literally inspired by like BDSM clubs that Clive Barker went to back in the day. Yeah, it's true. So, um, now that's a sensation. <laughs> should we talk about the humans of the movie? If we have to. Okay. I could basically talk about the Cenobites for the entire <laughs> show, but I guess the humans are kind of important. Now like, that's a human. I, of course, I'm not including the billionaire in this. No. <laughs> yeah. Now that's not human. <laughs> so we have Riley, who's kind of like the main character as far as the humans go. Played by the daughter of beloved comedy writer and actress Pamela Adlon. Um, <laughs> and she's a recovering addict. And staying with her brother, Matt, his boyfriend, Colin, hype, and uh, their <laughs> friend and roommate, other roommate, Nora. Their British friend and roommate, Nora. Right. <laughs> um, They're British. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. She has a uh, kind of boyfriend. Uh, Does she? Or fuck buddy. Oh, um, oh, Riley does. Yeah. I thought you meant Nora. No, Riley. Trevor. 
Trevor, he, I think, is in an A with her. Whatever program they're in, they're in together, yeah. Yeah, they're in the program together. 12-step exercise program. And <laughs> The 13th uh, step is uh, hooking up with somebody else in the program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They hook up. He cares more about her than she cares about him. Or does he? Or does he? Because later he betrays them. Um, Spoilers for the movie that we're summarizing. (laughs) So he leads her to the configuration. He says that he just found out about the shipment and that... He's just trying to get in one more heist. Yeah. And uh, he thinks he'll be able to like make money off of it. She starts solving it accidentally in a high stupor. Um, Her brother is trying to like look for her because they had a fight. And he ends up getting got by it. And uh, she just keeps, like, stabbing people with it accidentally with each configuration. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, feel, point- I feel like the configuration kind of, like, guides your hand. Okay. Once it's open. Right? Yeah. just cannot stop. Poking people with that thing. <laughs> yeah, and technically she's working for the Cenobites right now because they told her, if you aren't the one we're going to take, then you have to choose another. Yeah, they offer her a deal because she didn't get cut by it. Right. It seems like they she found like one of the few loopholes. You're really screwing up our plans here, Rai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are not thrilled with your <laughs> insubordination. <laughs> So she makes her way... You will be written up in hellish HR. (laughs) She makes her way through her friends and loved ones with this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Um, You know, you don't have to offer up the people you care about most. No, I feel like I should. Yeah, it's got to be worth it. She does get one Cenobite with it, though, the Chatterer. Oh, poor Chatterer. He didn't seem to mind. He accepted it right away. (laughs) He's a company man. Everybody is basically a sacrifice to the Le- to the Leviathan, and he wor- the uh, the Cenobites worship the Leviathan. So he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, I am a blessed sacrifice to our God." <laughs> yeah, you know that would have been another good intro for this episode. Would have been um, the Office in Hell, which I think we've already done in another episode yeah, before too. We just did like, that about Aramintari. Yeah, but it, it also works for this movie. Just like, what's going on at the office? You know, Chatter, he's a real company man. He gets stabbed by the configuration. He'll just get torn apart by chains like a fucking champ. It could have been a continuation of the Aramintari skit. Like, you hear about that new division? <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah. The Cenobites. Yeah. That's good, that's good. We had a new division we introduced in... Uh, our intro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> the yeah. The lore. <laughs> they basically, like, make it to the mansion at one point, and they're playing around with all the switches and dials <laughs> like you do. Yeah, just futzing. The, all the Cenobites kind of coalesce against them there, but uh, they have them kind of trapped at one point, and that's when they're, like, confronted by Voight. Voight. Reveal. And his organ grinder. It's a literal organ grinder, too. It's yeah. grinding his organs. And he reveals that Trevor was working for him the whole time. And Riley feels kind of betrayed by that, you know? Because he put the configuration in her hands and led to the death of everybody that she loves. Well, there's this weird thing where, like, you can let a bunch of other people mess with the configuration as long as you have it when the last one is... solved it's kind of like finders keepers yeah (laughs) like the six other people who get fucked by it like they're just screwed 
The so, last hit gets the win. Yeah. You can make deals with the Cenobites, though. Like, at one point, Colin got stabbed, and he was one of the last people that she cared about left. And so Riley made a deal with, I think it was the Weeper. Uh, the Gasp. It was the Gasp. Okay. And uh, she made a deal with the Gasp. Like, I, I don't want him to be taken. You told me that... If it wasn't me, then I would choose who it was. And the guest was like, well, do you have another? <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, this is a little easy, but okay. They just want to torture. That means she gets to torture more people because she was already torturing Colin. True. That's a two for one deal. Yeah. And, or at least one and a half tortures. And yeah. so Trevor was right next to her the whole time. He's like, Riley, what are you doing? <laughs> Big midsummer moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Riley, tell me what's going on. Riley, we're, we're still buds, right? <laughs> and she, the next thing you see is just him getting tortured. So obviously, you know, we they know what happened. They were not still buds. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She chose him. And so uh, we see like her and Colin escaping and Voight thought he was getting a reward, but he ended up like getting sucked up into the Leviathan. He goes through the horrendously painful process of having his, like, wounds fixed, like, stitched back together, and then they take him to hell. Yeah. Or take him to the Leviathan. Yeah. With a hook through the newly healed wound. Yeah. Um, Oof. Then... Good special effects, too. Yeah, Riley makes her way back to the priest, and they're facing off, and they ask her to choose... Because she was the one they really had to deal with the whole time. And uh, she doesn't, she tries not to make a choice. And she says, I'm not going to choose this. I, I want to live my life. This, none of this will actually be in my benefit. You're just trapping me, basically. She's like laying it out on the line. She's pretty blunt. And uh, she doesn't realize it, but she actually is making a choice. Yeah, The only way to win the game of Hellraiser is not to play at all. <laughs> She tries, but they don't let her get away with it. They said, ah, you choose lament. You choose to live with the knowledge of everything you did and everyone you hurt and that everyone you love is in hell. Oh, man, I just got chills. That's a great. I really like how they end with that. They yeah. always win. Yeah. <laughs> Cenobites never lose. No. It seemed like they were disappointed, though. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I feel like they pitied her a little bit for it. Yeah, they did a little bit. I mean, they wanted her to be cool, and she was not chill. <laughs> Don't you want to yeah. hang, Riley? Don't you want to hang forever? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, when you say hang, how do you mean that? Yeah. Oh, good eye. Good, good ear. Good yeah. ear. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's about it. Like, <laughs> Riley and Colin. I'm just imagining the Cenobites, like, going back, like, just before, or no, coming out just before they meet. Like, Riley's cool, right? Like, <laughs> and Pinhead's just like, yeah, yeah, she's cool. <laughs> um. So, yeah, Riley and Colin escape, but Riley's kind of left realizing that the Cenobites were probably right, and she looks horrified. And then there is a final scene, I almost forgot. Where you see Voight and he's like in the the Leviathan and he's like crucified there and he's such he's, glorious he's suffering. He's being transformed into a glorious being that's a new Cenobite. That's right, <laughs> ascension. Yeah, 
And so we see him complete his ascension. <laughs> that was a hell of a summary. We should probably move into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the frightening themes, scenes, and lore of Hellraiser 2022. So guys, I've been really excited for this movie ever since I heard about it. They've been trying to reboot Hellraiser since 2006. Wow. And I'm really glad, despite, you know, I mean, I, I'm not that I've been waiting for it since then, like... I don't know. I probably saw the first movie in 2006. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think it's really cool the way they changed it up. Yeah. Um, the configuration actually, it's like if nobody's ever seen it before who's listening, um, stop, pause this podcast and then go watch it and come back. Yeah, the movie? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, now that you know everything that happens in it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now that you know the configuration is kind of like a puzzle box. And it starts out as a cube and in the original it can change form, but in this one it has even more forms it can change into. Yeah, it can be like a fun little spike or like a flashlight. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not so fun. Like a star. Yeah, star. It can still be the classic cube. Yeah. Each one has a knife. <laughs> every it's configuration not a knife. every configuration needs its knife. Yeah. It needs the tasty blood to be able to transition. And if it's, yeah, it's, it's magical. And if you somehow are able to avoid the blade, like you, apparently you get a fun little out from uh being tortured to death like Riley did. Yeah. And th this is not a Christian fantasy film, I would argue, hmm, because interesting. it does not. I don't think I, I think like it's inspired by that, but I think that it's its own thing. Sure. I was actually literally just the other day making a point to a friend of ours that this is kind of a Christian fantasy film, but I'm interested in your take, too. Or that like the story of Hellraiser is like rooted the, in Christian fantasy. The humans... In the movies, keep making the mistakes that they're angels or demons there, that it's hell. That's but fair. we kind of see that they're from some other dimension. And their god is like this... Prism. Prism thing that's called the Leviathan. But the Leviathan is like a biblical demon, right? It's like a whale. <laughs> <laughs> like a whale that's uh, prism-shaped and floats in the sky. Yeah, with chains and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a mechanical god. Oh, I like that's that. That's sentient. There's a mechanical god and in has the consciousness. There's a mechanical god in the uh, tabletop RPG Starfinder that I find fascinating. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's not the human concept of. Like the Christian God. Sure. Barker's vision is outside of, like, a you know, it is its own worldview, I suppose. Yeah. And their realm is kind of like a giant labyrinth, which is cool. We see that in the second movie from the original Hellraiser continuity. Yeah, I really hope they make a sequel to this one that explores 
the inside of the Leviathan. Yeah, and they do bring back that maze in this movie. Yeah. Which is cool. The visuals are there, but I'd like to see more of that, like delving into it. But I thought it was cool. I thought the more nuanced configuration was neat because it's like you could appeal to like the core desire of any individual and it's more nuanced. Like you could basically capture the attention of more people that way. (laughs) Now, do the seven configurations correspond to like the seven deadly sins or is that just me locking in on the number seven? There's lament. I considered it as well. There's sensation. Resurrection was one. Yeah, the Lazarus configuration. So maybe they don't really map on. I don't think it maps to the seven sins, but I did consider it also. I think it was just seven as the number. There's also like the seven salvations, but I don't think it fits that either. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, it's a cool feature of this movie having the different configurations that have different effects on the people who are uh, taken by them, I should say. Yeah, they kind of disappear and are never seen again. Either they're tortured for all eternity or they're a sacrifice. I think eventually the torturees will be sacrificed to the Leviathan, Uh, but not until the Cenobites have maybe had a little bit of fun. Yeah. They are the only ones that actually get pleasure out of this. It seems like it. That's the trick. (laughs) Well, from the original film... It seemed like eventually you hang out enough with the Cenobites, you you get to be one, right? Yeah. It's true. In this one, it did not feel so clear cut. They say a line in reference to her brother that makes me think they kill Matt. He seems like his soul or some version of him is like out there and could be saved But if Riley chooses in the end to save him, to bring him back, it will go badly. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a total monkey's paw type of thing. So, like, Um, she chooses not to resurrect him and then she just has to live with the emotional turmoil. Yeah. So what I mean by that, too, is like it's with the monkey's paw thing. It's kind of like be careful what you wish for. But, Jamie, you were making the point that this goes further And the theme is more like sometimes we need to learn that the price is not worth the reward. Yeah. Some things cost more than we are actually willing to pay. And in her case, bringing back Matt, she kind of realizes through seeing all this horrendous torture that her friends go through and the suffering and everything that it is not going to be worth it. That only pain and suffering come from the Cenobites. Yeah. And the Cenobites, I mean, I like that the consistent through line of these movies is that the Cenobites transcend good and evil. And that is where I'd say that this does step outside of the Christian uh, mythology pretty significantly. Because, like, we can usually... I think that there's a tendency to view the Cenobites as evil, but they are just kind of forces of nature. It is human beings who make the evil decisions that call the Cenobites. The Cenobites are just doing their thing. It's characters like Frank in the original and Voight in this movie who are actually causing the suffering. They're the true antagonists, the humans. Yeah, they are. They are the ones opening the gate. 
Yeah. The Cenobites just show up and do their job. Yeah, I guess there is that perspective. I feel that a lot more in the original, where it's like, you opened it, we came sort of thing. Sure. In this one, when Rai touches the configuration, before she even solves it, she's seeing the Cenobites. True. Although she was kind of given into the temptation that Trevor gave her to go find the thing. That was like a selfish drive. And before they finish all of the configurations, the Cenobites start appearing in physical form and being like, you either got to start finishing the puzzle or we're just going to kill y'all. Yeah. So that feels evil. (laughs) That's true. I mean, they have to have their pound of flesh. I kind of see them. I see your point, Jack, but I also see them as kind of like a force of nature. They're following their own natures to an extent but you can bargain with them though no they're lawful if nothing else yeah they have rules they have to follow so they are kind of lawful evil i guess or lawful neutral or lawful good depending on your perspective (laughs) i'm depending (laughs) honestly i've just been sitting here thinking why doesn't anybody they come up to why isn't anybody like just intrigued by seeing them everybody is so fucking scared out of their minds why isn't anybody looking at them like wow and like wanting to touch them and stuff stop you may not fondle our flesh what would they do if somebody wasn't afraid of them probably make them into a Cenobite, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like... Yeah, I mean, the chains from hell, or the chains from Leviathan, like, burrowing into your flesh and tearing you apart might be, like, the next step. Yeah. Maybe, but it's hard to say. No. I don't, it doesn't seem to me... I mean, I haven't seen all the movies, so maybe this is, like, in the lore somewhere. Well, they start to fall apart after a certain point. Okay, but... Um, which is another reason I'm glad about this reboot. As far... Yeah. As far as I know, they haven't met anybody who's just, like, psyched to see them. And that's got to be... Oh, cool. A goth bondage club. That's got to be tiring for them. Like, HUD, isn't anybody going to, like, want to hang out with us? Well, See, the thing is, they're more menacing than threatening, I would say. Yeah. They definitely deal in just the fear of, like the bizarreness of the situation when they arrive. Because, like, walls start opening and shit. Yeah, it's true. I think they're pretty threatening. They kidnap some people. That's fair. They just will swoop you into the afterlife if you're poked by that box. True. The yeah. the one woman with lung cancer who um is, like, the toady of Voight in the beginning who gets pricked by the <laughs> configuration, um, she knows... And she accepts her fate. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, once she gets stabbed, she's like, oh, fuck. I know exactly what's going to happen. I've done this to a bunch of people for Void. I'm getting my comeuppance. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It seems like whenever things start changing around them, it's already too late because they've technically already gotten sucked into that other dimension. As soon as you get stabbed, it's over. Yeah. It's interesting because in the original continuity, the second movie, the main character is able to find her way back to reality. Right. And she keeps escaping, which is strange. Yeah. 
or interesting. She she saves somebody from the labyrinth dimension. That's right. In the original, there the like doorway stays open for a while. Oh, it is actually the main character from the first movie. She comes back in the second yeah. movie. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it does stay open for a while, and you can like get back through. You're right. In this one, reality just starts falling apart around you. So yeah, like as relatable. soon as you see things shift, that means you've already been teleported to the other dimension, and it's too late. Like there's no way yeah. for them to get back out. You're in like a liminal space where you're like your body is in the our world and. Your mind or soul is in the hell dimension. But your mm. body also disappears. Does it? Yes. Oh, Matt yes. did disappear from the bathroom. And so did yeah. Serena, the uh, Voight's old lawyer. And Laura. Whatever. Nora? British. Nora. Yeah. British. <laughs> yeah. All that's left behind is a pool of blood in each case. That was such a good scene. I mean, I like how it kind of transcends any ability to logically determine what happens. I yes. think that that is a strength of these movies that they work through this like non-Euclidean understanding of of the world, like this kind of Lovecraftian weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, what happened to their bodies? Fuck, we don't know. <laughs> like that's cool. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think another way this differs greatly from the first Hellraiser movie, the original one. In the original, they're like pain and pleasure in equal measure, right? Yeah. And that makes sense because we mentioned that the Cenobites are just the natural conclusion for someone who is never satisfied until complete excess in right. physical sensation. They're hedonism personified. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've gotten to the point where you solve the configuration to get to the Cenobites, you're probably pretty close to getting to Cenobite level anyway. Right? Yeah. And that's what made it feel more like a force of nature to me, more inevitable. But in the new one, you can just be anybody who gets the box and like whether you seek it out or not, they're like, here we are. <laughs> well, to your point, the hell priest pinhead says in this movie that their power lies in dominance. Yes. They are an active force. So you're you're right in that regard. They're they're a force of nature, but they are kind of driven to want to dominate people. Yeah. To want to control other people's lives. And it seems like the pleasure is not nearly as represented in this one. It's like pain and maybe pleasure, after, but only after you've been like possessed or converted by the Leviathan. Well, it seems to me like the pleasure is for the people who are able to like activate the final configuration like Frank, where he was kind of living a life of opulence for a long time up to that point until the pain part takes over when they stick the organ grinder in him. And that is where Riley decides to reject the temptation to fall into that trap. Yeah. But hey, guys, you know, another temptation that's really hard to resist coffee. Oh, well, that's true. But tell us what other one there is. Supporting your favorite artists on Patreon. Ooh, I never resist that temptation. Oh, God. <laughs> 
such exquisite pleasure from <laughs> terrible pain. <laughs> terrible pain for my wallet. So, yeah, exactly. Such an exquisite pleasure from the artists, but pain for my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if your bank account is hurting, we have several different tiers that you could choose from to fit any budget, and you could still support us in that way. We would really appreciate it. It helps us keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire. I almost said it helps us keep the castles lit. <laughs> nice. I like that. And, you know, if you're... Here at Castle Torch. <laughs> if you're interested, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our patron community. We'd you, really appreciate it. Yeah. And you get bonus con... I hate it. And you get bonus episodes and you can vote on a movie we watch each month do they get a puzzle box no <laughs> okay good <laughs> that doesn't mean they couldn't make their own true we have our necronomicon that we made we actually yeah. have two necronomicons we made twice the horror <laughs> twice the fun but uh let's head back to our conversation there but yeah i think that the difference between the cenobites and the original is interesting that there is a more active kind of desire to control the lives of people. That's right. When they're talking to Void at the end, the priest is talking to Void. Void is basically saying like, hey, I didn't want a torture machine when I finished your box. <laughs> yeah. Too bad. It I, was in the contract. Yeah. I actually wanted to feel good all the time. And, uh, it was mostly about power. And, uh. Well, actually, um, the priest was like, we thought you were interested in sensation, but clearly, clearly you only sought after pleasure. Yes. And, uh, she said, or they said, every time you sought a new conquest, it was really all about power. Yes. And that's when they said, our power lies in dominance. Yes. And they get a look in their eyes. It's like a gleam. And you know they're scheming something. That's right. They're realizing, like, if you choose power, I think that's when you become a Cenobite. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like it. Because Voight does get to ascend to this new, beautiful form. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the main difference. In the original one, it was like, I seek sensation. In this one, it's I seek power, I feel like. Yeah. Sensation's just part of the package. Right. Yeah. Workplace benefits. <laughs> so what I like about this movie is that it touches on class in a much more interesting way. And it is, I want to say it is more sympathetic or empathetic towards addiction. Because in the original movie, Uncle Frank is kind of this, you know, like this is 80s, like moralizing, right? Like he is a addict who will just do anything to chase the next high. And like, it feels a little like it is commenting more on addiction and not understanding addiction as a disease, but understanding it as like a moral failing. Right. And I feel like in this movie, the moral failing is being wealthy. Yes. And that addiction is something that while it can lead us down dark roads, 
we can find ways to cope and deal and rise above them. I like that the main character, the character that we are following and empathizing with the most is an addict because so often that is not what we see in films. So often we see addicts portrayed in really unflattering ways. And not to say that Riley is a flawless character. She's very flawed and complicated, but she gets to grow through this journey. Yeah. She realizes that the she cares deeply about the people around her and she doesn't want to lose anyone else and she can't stand to. And coming from a household that was, you know, racked by addiction as a child, um, I appreciate this perspective that is more nuanced and that portrays Riley as still a good person who knows in the end what the right moral moral choice is, what the right like choice for herself is. She chooses not to keep going down the road she's on, but to seek help in a way. Yeah, I mean, her addiction was hurting the people around her, even when they tried to help her. And that was mirrored in what was happening with the configuration and the Cenobites. They kept trying to help her with it, and they were getting hurt or dying. And uh, she couldn't stop using the configuration. She couldn't kick her addiction until she kind of hit rock bottom. But also part of it is something that really does happen. Her brother is the one who kind of sets her up to fall by not believing in her and by treating her like a low life, basically and kicking her out rather than helping her. Now this is very complicated. There's a lot of, relationships that are very toxic because of issues with addiction. But in the case of the film, we do see how lacking empathy might actually make an addict's condition worse because they are put in a situation where they don't feel like they have support from loved ones. Yeah, it is complicated, though, and difficult to navigate, because if you think about it from her brother Matt's perspective... It's kind of like, well, she only made a mistake. She had, she was drinking that night and she got drunk. That doesn't seem like it was her drug of choice before. No. Alcohol. But it's still kind of seen as like a slippery slope. And uh, he gets mad at her and wants to throw her out for that. But it's like, he's already been dealing with years of this. Right. And also he's got to wonder if he's helping her or just enabling her. Yeah, it's really tough, and I feel like the movie does a good job of portraying how these questions don't have clean answers. Yeah, there are no answers, and I don't have any answers, but it's just the complication of the situation that they were in. It also doesn't help that she was being preyed upon by Trevor. True. Set up to fail. Yes. It's true. There's a bad influence Who in her life. Who was sent to her from a billionaire. That's right. So who's the real villain here? Capitalism. Yeah, it's true. And the people who benefit the most from it. And like, I mean, look at Voight as a character. He is willing to do the most horrendous things possible. We see like Riley doesn't want to hurt anybody. People keep getting hurt, but she's not pursuing it. Voight is setting people up to be hurt. Yeah. He is manipulating and using his power and dominance to keep this cycle going. Yeah. Riley is trying to break the cycle at every stop. She doesn't want to hurt anybody with the configuration. It just keeps happening. 
because the configuration does seem to have a will of its own. But Voight is willing to give over his power to the will of the Cenobites. Riley is resisting that power. Riley is speaking truth to power. Yeah. She realizes that it's all a trap, but she was already caught in it. Yeah. It is difficult to untangle yourself from the systems around you. If you choose lament, though, it seems like a sentence of like being in regret and pain the rest of your life, remembering people. And that kind of grief and loss does stay with you, but you can heal uh, through that eventually. And it's always a part of you, but you kind of can become a new person with help and I think it's one of the only ways out of the situation with the Cenobite. I'm I'm imagining a sequel where Riley is like pursuing counseling. Yeah. Like trying to get emotional help. And then something will impede that having to do with the Cenobites like not really wanting to let her go yet. That's basically the second movie of the original. Yeah, I, I'm really hoping that they make like a new franchise that builds off of the originals and expands them the way that this movie does. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't think Riley would be in the sequel. I hope but now she that is. you mention it, she probably will be. I don't think the Cenobites are going to so quickly just let one of their little playthings go. I figured yeah. because she completed their task, they would respect the wish we'll see we'll see they never really let Voight go either <laughs> well that's for sure but he was pursuing it actively that's true riley was rejecting it as much as possible you try not to decide but you still have made a choice that it's as true today as it was when rush said it mm -hmm. i really want them to make a void like pez dispenser what would that For be like? For some reason, I just, this like interesting gearbox thing just shoves through his chest. I just cannot. It did look like a Pez dispenser. He feels like a Pez man. <laughs> the uh, delicious candy treat is more suffering. <laughs> a scathing indictment of the candy and sugar complex. Maybe that the would. The sugar industrial complex. Maybe that would be the Cenobite that I would want, the Cenosona. Cenosona. Your head rolls back and a big candy brick comes out of your neck. <laughs> okay, that feels very on brand, actually. Yeah. Pez head. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you eat the whole thing, you have diabetes. <laughs> Jesus. It's a brick, you see. <laughs> Just pure sugar. Homer, stay away. <laughs> That could be how they catch one of the main characters. Pez head is just standing on top of a building and just drops a candy brick. <laughs> Pez head. Oh, man. All right, guys. I think at this point we can probably head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a horrific rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 pins? Yes, I would. And I hope I'm not stealing another, but I might be. My epic moment and or feature is gotta be Riley's Wish. 
Very oh, nice. Interesting. Yes. I like it. I thought that was such a good ending to the film. She has seen what the Cenobites are like. She pursued them at first, and then eventually, that when they appear before her and are like, hey, we're going to take you unless you give us other people. And if you give us enough people, we'll give you a wish. Maybe even give your brother back. She's yeah. like, nice. And then through all the... Um, shenanigans <laughs> and tomfoolery she catches when void says like i finished your box and when i made my wish you gave me a torture device <laughs> yeah she sees the pain that cap that happens due to these things exactly and so when they're like hey you want to make that wish she's like uh, no <laughs> and they even like show her the brother and he's like Hey, Rye, it's me. Totally as I was. Like, <laughs> covered in this, like, green, gray light. Like, yeah, he's underwater. I know. And, like, looks like he's decomposing. He looks like some sort of phantom, and it's n so clearly not what she wants, right? Yeah. She's like, no, I think I'll pass on that. And I really love how the Cenobites react. Gasp says... Your suffering has only just begun. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't mean suffering in like a pain and pleasure kind of way. Right. Gasp is like, you're an idiot for choosing that actually, right? Yeah. I have a feeling there's big judgment there. Because <laughs> Judgy ass Cenobites. Yeah, basically. Gasp is like, you're so like, you're a fool for passing up this opportunity to just stay here where it sucks, right? <laughs> And uh, they're like, your suffering has only just begun. Everything that you've worked so hard for, you're just throwing it away for more of what you've already had, right? <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. And so I really like that perspective from the Cenobites who are never satisfied with their extreme measures, right? right? And so for Riley to pick just like, I don't want anything from you. I just want my life as it is. Their disappointment is so like good to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the priest just saying like, oh, you've chosen life. It's the lament configuration. Yeah, right? I love that. Yeah. And so that was just such a cool ending to me. Yeah. She looks down and it's the original cube that way. Yeah. Because we see in a journal, lament means life. When it comes to the configurations. Yeah. And so she chose life. And life I think of suffering. And I, I hope they respect it. <laughs> but like, you know, we'll see. I just thought that was such a great ending. Yeah, it is. And uh, when it comes to the movie as a whole, I think I know, Cass, why people react really negatively when seeing the Cenobites. They are really disturbing in design. <laughs> their, yeah. Their body horror, extreme body horror. Yes. Deeply horrible. Cass is at. like, I don't see it. <laughs> they're really bad to look at, but it really interesting to look at. Yeah. And uh, they all have vibrant personalities, especially Chitterer. <laughs> and uh, the most expressive of them all. Yeah. The characters were pretty good, but really the main strength, I think, of the Hellraiser series is the spectacle of it. Mm-hmm. It, it's a vibe. Yes. And it's intriguing. I think the only thing I would dock it for is these movies 
are kind of weirdly slow burn. Mm, yeah. Because, like, we get the spectacle of the Cenobites throughout the whole thing, but we are kind of building up to a main conflict, and they really like to set you up with, like, discovering the lore, like, the mystery, like, what is going on even in the midst of the bad thing is already actively happening. All the while, they just increase the suffering. Exactly. It's like you're in the... You're in the like crock pot and it's just heating up over time and the pressure is getting worse. And then like, you know, you're getting all the information like what are we dealing with here even as you're having to deal with it. So I think that's neat. That's dread. That's dread. Yeah. But it it takes a while. It feels kind of slow at some points. And it was like that for the original Hellraiser for me too. I like them both a lot. But uh the rewatchability is a little affected by it. For my rating, I'm probably going to give this an 8 out of 10 pins. That's a good rating. Yeah. Because I think it is so cool, but I think the strongest thing in the Hellraiser movies are the great one-liners. Oh, yeah. And we got a few less of them in this than in the original, but I think, I, I hope we get a little bit more. And, uh, yeah. 8 out of 10, really cool, but it's not something you could just always slap on again and again. So That's fair. It's great. Would recommend. What about you, Cass? What's your epic moment or feature, and then your rating from 1 to 10 pins? Oh, boy. You know what? It's not going to be what you think. My epic feature is the representation in this movie. I, that is kind of what I thought you were going to say. Ooh. Oh, okay. Not me, though. <laughs> Um, I'm happy they got a diverse cast to play all the characters, uh, including race and gender diversity. And um, like I mentioned, uh, they have a trans actress and two of the characters, Matt and Colin, are a gay couple. And I like that they show them in being supportive and just really vibing together and being a strong couple. For the few scenes we get them together, they are very cute. Yeah, I was yeah. worried they were going to kill them both off uh, because of the trope of, like, being gay leads to, be like, dying or something. Matt doesn't die because he's gay. Matt dies because he's Riley's brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of handsome. He could play someone's brother or husband. <laughs> um... So, Colin survives, though, which I'm happy about. Yeah, we have a final girl uh, trope kind of subverted a little bit. She saves somebody. I mean, yeah. sometimes a final girl saves someone, but... It's true. Doesn't she save two people? Or is it just... Trevor one? gets sent to hell. Oh, good. He's saved. <laughs> she replaces... She saves Colin by replacing him with Trevor. I do like that because I wanted to explore their relationship more, and I really want them to bring them both back for the sequel. Yeah, yeah. they seem to be close. Colin seemed to care about Riley and understand her position and be really understanding when she made mistakes and not, like, hold it against her. But he still got frustrated with her, which is very believable. Yeah, yeah I liked it yeah. a lot. I thought they had a good dynamic, and I'd like to see it. They they were obviously going to be the support for each other. Going forward. Yeah. They're the only two people that they know who can possibly understand what the other has been through. 
And I liked how independent Riley was. But anyway, so I think that the ensemble cast really is what makes this film. The acting was great. Yes. And it felt very believable, the dynamics between everyone. And how cartoonishly evil the billionaire was. I mean, just perfectly believable. Yeah, exactly. He was like just missing the mustache. (laughs) (laughs) To twirl. Yes. It's true. Um, So I'm also going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 because it was also very creative in the way it reimagined the world and all of the like technical aspects of the mansion and how oh, the yeah. switches did things and all the secret passages. It was very cool. I could see running like a D&D or other RPG scenario in a place like that. Totally. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from one to ten pins? I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is one that I feel like we always say like, oh, why don't they do this in a movie? And they did it. And it's when Chatterer is trying to get in to grab Trevor and Riley and Riley fucking stabs him with the lament configuration. And like Chatterer is like, oh, fuck. And he like steps back. You know, this is one of the Cenobites. This is the guy with the teeth that are constantly clacking and his face is all torn open. Like his mouth is pulled back. And he, like, kind of steps back, and he kind of accepts his fate, and the chains come and tear him apart and just absolutely splatter Trevor and Riley in, like, a moment that would make Sam Raimi proud. Yeah. I just thought it was great. Like, so often they have, like, the weapon that they won't use on the villains, and Riley's like, fuck this. I got this brutal knife. It does crazy shit. Let's see what it does to somebody, like, evil, or at least in my perspective, evil. And it does exactly what it needs to do, and it's great. It's the rules work on them, too. Yeah. And uh, she does try to do that again later. Yeah. As another sacrifice to the Leviathan daddy. But, um... It doesn't quite work out. Sure. But I just, I thought that was great. I thought that was something that we don't see often enough in movies where characters make decisions. And I understand that films, like, the decisions characters make drive the plot forward. They're not trying to be a representation of reality. But I like that this movie wove it in there. And they're like, yeah, that totally counted. Yeah. Like, we can't, we can't fault you for... Stabbing Chatterer. Well played, Riley. A sacrifice is a sacrifice is a sacrifice. Yeah. And I assume that, you know, Chatterer will be painfully reforged in a wonderful cacophony of pain and pleasure that will return him to his physical form more horrifying than before. And I look forward to it. I just realized that even if they feel pleasure from their own or other people's pain, they can't get a boner from it. <laughs> Do they just get like an emotional or a mental boner? Yes. Okay. But they're also always in a state of emotional and mental blue balls. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's the pain and the pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get it. <laughs> as far as the rating goes, I'm going to give this film nine out of ten pins. Okay. Nice. I think they did a fan-fucking-tastic job of updating this for the modern 
context. I like that they flipped the take on addiction. I like that the Cenobites are still creative and fascinating. And like I've watched some cosplayer YouTubers who've really been impressed with the new aesthetic and the costumes and the uh, the prostheses and the makeup is outstanding. Some of it's a little plasticky, but honestly, it totally works. Like I think that that captures the 80s feeling of the original. I think that it's an intentional choice to make the Cenobites kind of, for lack of a better word, cartoony or just like makeup-y, but it's still really impressive. The guy with the hollow face, this is like the flat face with the hollow eyes oh, yeah. and, and mouth. So cool. Jamie Clayton's job as Pinhead is fucking stellar. I absolutely loved it. I'm really looking forward to watching this movie again in the near future. Probably next Halloween, I'm thinking. Because it's very evocative. Like Jack said, it is a slow burn. I appreciate that because it gives you time to kind of live in the world and be part of the world building. And then the little things, like the little mysteries that get revealed, like, oh, why is Void's house got this weird configuration all around it and it's to keep out the Cenobites and, and to trap them inside too. Yeah. Like it can keep them out or it can lock them in. Yeah. And I thought that was really that cool. That was cool. Um, it just really expands on the lore and the world in fascinating ways and updates it in ways that I think are really good. And I think that casting a trans pinhead is a great idea because I think maybe some people could see that as a negative if they were looking at it from a certain perspective. Like it might be feeling like this is demonizing people, mm. but I don't think that's the intention. I think the whole idea of the Cenobites is that they transcend the physical form, right? Yeah. Mm. They are not bound. They're not being demonized. In my eyes, they're being angelized. Thank you. <laughs> and Jack, you pointed out these Cenobites are a little bit more actively malevolent, I would say. Yeah. But they are still, I feel like, a good representation of the idea that there are still worse things. And the worst things are humans who are willing to use the Cenobites to their own ends. If nobody was tempted by the lament, or if nobody was tempted by the puzzle box, these things wouldn't happen. Yeah. But it's because people like Voight exploit others that the Cenobites have power. We are I giving, see. we are giving power to something that is in and of itself benign, mm. maybe not benign. It, I don't know. It can be dormant. It can be dormant. Capitalism comes to mind, right? Yeah. Like people say like, oh, capitalism is just a system. Yes, it's a system that people manipulate to their own ends and do it in a way that causes a greater deal of pain and suffering than the Cenobites could ever cause yes. in the real world. Groups and individuals that perpetuate the system. <laughs> so I like that this movie takes a kind of bolder look at its themes and reexamines them in a way that explores the subtleties and nuances just in a more satisfying way, I think. And I still fucking love the original. One of the only ways to resist this colonization of the mind is to not play like Riley tries to. Even if she might be suffering, she's not under their control or power anymore. Exactly. She has rejected the tenets of the Cenobites that would make her a victim. Yeah. And I appreciate that. 
I really love watching this. It really helps me get into the feeling of the season. Mm-hmm. Spooky ween. Um, St. Spookentine's Day coming up. Yes. I'm drawing St. Spookentine. I started last year and I forgot about it. And I'm going to try to remember to do it, to finish it this year. That's going to be on our Patreon page, which we talked about before. More incentive to jump on there and support the show. We would really appreciate it. And I'm also looking forward to next week. We're going to watch another creepy, spooky movie, of course, uh, for this uh, Halloween time. For the most important holiday of the year. But we're not sure what it's going to be yet because it's going to be our patron poll. Hey, Cass, what movies are in the poll? We've got the Vavitch. Vavitch. Which is winning right now. We've got the Frighteners. Ooh, classic Peter Jackson. One of my favorites. Uh, We've got Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Which is one of my favorite movies. That's a good time. And then one that Jack and I found called Blood Moon. It's on a streaming service, and it's about an unlikely werewolf story. Uh, it's it's not a as rom- opposed to all the likely werewolf stories. Well, it's not a romance. <laughs> it's a mother and son story. Oh, well, that's nice. Who's the werewolf? I guess we'll never know because I don't know if that one's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a dark horse. But there is a way that you could find out what movie won. That's right. You can go to social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Follow us and keep up with the show. It's also a great way to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about each episode. Hell yeah. And hey, if your podcast service has a rating system, maybe drop a five-star rating for our show on there. Yeah. Just ask for what you want. <laughs> unless, we, it's a, uh, unless it's a 10-star rating, then please don't give us a five. True. Yeah. Give us the highest rating. Yeah. Thank you. To all you listeners. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Social media is a lot of fun. And those ratings, actually, I, well, I don't use social media myself. (laughs) A little too much pain compared to my pleasure. But, you know, giving us a good rating helps us in an immense way. It's true. And that immense way is by... Telling other people how much you like our podcast. Yeah. That's right. Which is very appreciated. If you tell your friends and your family about us, we get all those extra listeners, and you get to enjoy some of your favorite art with some of your favorite people, and that's just hype. Might be new fans to share in all the pain and pleasure of listening to our podcast. We need to expand this pain and also this pleasure. That's right. All right. Well, until next time... Hail Crom!